All right, so if you have your Bibles, you're going to need, uh, you're going to need them today. We're going to do a lot of scripture reading, so please buckle in. Uh, I want to offer a word that I hope is encouraging. Um, I want to spend some time, though, receiving the scriptures. So John chapter 10, the words of Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 1. Again, we're going to read a lot of scripture, so stay with it if you can. And then um, we'll go from there. John chapter 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 10. Goodness, verse 1. Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Say, he calls his own sheep by name. Say it. All right. Keep that in mind. He calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. When he's brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Verse 6. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 7, Jesus says again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. Now, he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the sheep that he has that are not from the sheep pen are people, the Gentiles, right? This is kind of an image to that. He says, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. I want to offer us a word today. It's less a teaching and more in the hopes that it inspires a conversation with you at home, maybe with your classmates, maybe with your loved ones, maybe with other people in this church family. The hope to inspire a conversation on Theology Thursday that meets at 6.30 on Zoom. I want us to think about what it means for Christ to be the good shepherd. I want us to think about what it means for Christ to be the good shepherd who leads us to abundant life, especially in a moment where abundant life seems to be out of abundance. See, abundant life, if I wanted to be really technical, I would say abundant life looks back toward creation and to God who's the source of all life. So I'd have to say that if I'm talking about life in abundance, I have to look at the source of life, and that source of life would be God. 
And then if I listen to Jesus and the many different times, he mentions at least five times his death and resurrection in this whole discourse. Five times his death and resurrection. Then I have to be able to conclude that the abundant life somehow anticipates the future blessings of the new life of resurrection that comes through his death and from being in the divine presence of Christ as our good shepherd. Then I'd have to say that in the intersection of the past and the present, the God who is the source of life, the death and resurrection of Jesus, which hasn't happened yet, and the presence of God in which we find ourselves through the blood of Jesus, I'd have to say that somewhere there's an experience to be had of this abundant life that comes from being in communion with God in the moment, in the now. And again, if, if we read this text completely and in its context, Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd, focusing on his death and resurrection. And we have to understand that his death and his resurrection is an essential part of his offer to abundant life. See, without Jesus, we are limited to minimal life. A life of surviving. A life of just getting by. A life of just flying by the seat of our pants, trying to figure it out as the day goes on in the hopes that everything works itself out. A life of chance and crap shoots and just seeing where it lands. A life of having to make it on our own and define our own terms. It's weird. We live in a society right now that has this severe mistrust of authority. So as a result of being in a society where we mistrust all authority, we all get to be our own authority. And that doesn't work out well for, for humanity. And it won't work out well for the people of God. That's a minimal life. Jesus invites us to something bigger. You see, without his death for the sheep, we're stuck in minimal life. But with his death, the sheep receive abundant life. And that abundant life is sealed by resurrection. There's a, there's a blood-stained cross, an empty tomb that says when God makes promises, he keeps them. Death is undone by Christ's death. That's a promise of gospel. Neglect. Everybody say neglect. Neglect is undone by Christ's self-neglect. I want you to see that. Jesus neglects himself. That's what he says. I lay down my own life. No one makes me do this. I do this. Neglect is undone by Christ's self-neglect. Condemnation is undone by Christ's compassion. The reign of sin and death is undone by the resurrection and reign of Christ as king. The death-dealing actions of the evil shepherd that comes as a thief to steal, kill, and destroy is overcome by the life-giving actions of the good shepherd Jesus. Now, that's the high stuff. That's the stuff that I'm supposed to say because it's the stuff that's theologically correct. And that's the truth for which we believe when we step back and take a 30,000-foot view of life. The problem is we don't live 30,000 feet above the ground. But we can't get there yet. Because part of understanding what it looks like with boots on the ground means we have to look at Ezekiel chapter 34. Because when Jesus is talking about this, especially as he continues this shepherd theme from chapter 10 of John, verses 22 through 39. We only read up to verse 18. 
Jesus carries on, even at the festival of dedication at Hanukkah, and he continues to talk about how his works, how Jesus' works will bear witness to his claim that he's the life-giving good shepherd. And together with his works and his claim of being good shepherd, he's showing that this is a critical moment in the history of Israel, and he's also showing through his works and through his proclamation that he's the good shepherd He's also showing Israel the listeners to a moment in history. He wants to point them to their own story in Ezekiel 34. It'd be helpful to know that John 10 and Ezekiel 34 share some of the same phrases, words, and synonyms. And so I believe that Jesus says when he's saying this, his hearers aren't trying to figure out what he means as he continues to unpack this. They don't understand at first, but as he continues to unpack, I think their minds are being taken to 34 the 34th chapter of Ezekiel. And so I want to read Ezekiel. We're going to read a lot in this chapter, so please bear with it. It's a lot of reading, but I think it's important. Ezekiel's a prophet. The people of God are in desperate place. The shepherds of Israel, shepherds are the politicians and religious leaders. I need you to remember that religious leaders were politicians, politicians were religious leaders. All of it was bound up in the same. So the leaders of Israel are losing, have lost their way. And the people of Israel are suffering as a result of poor leadership. Ezekiel is probably one of the rated R books in the Bible. It's a long one. But in chapter 34, we're going to read a few few verses so you can see the connection between John 10 and Ezekiel 34. So bear with it. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, that's Ezekiel, son of man, which was a term that Ezekiel received from God. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel. Woe is a word for cursed. Like woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. Listen. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Now let me pause for a minute, just as a side note. Every year when the shepherds and the staff get together for a retreat, which we haven't, we didn't do last year, um, but when we would get together for a retreat, we read this text together as a reminder of the heart of God. It's a sobering text to read when you're a shepherd in a church. Verse 4, you have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. They were scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, the declaration of the Lord God, because my flock has become prey and food for every wild animal since they lack a shepherd, for my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says, look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds would no longer feed themselves, for I will rescue my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. 
For this is what the Lord God says. See, verse 11, listen. I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flocks, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a cloudy and dark day. I will bring them out of the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them into their own land. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them with good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. They will lie down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Verse 16, I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. Whew. Did you imagine? Ezekiel comes stepping up, talking all this. Unfortunately, he's not done. Verse 17. The Lord God says to you, my flock, now he's going to talk to the people. I'm going to judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and male goats. I mean, I mean isn't it enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Everybody say enough. Say it again, say enough. That's a key word. Isn't it enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of the pasture with your feet? Or isn't it enough, everybody say enough, that you drink the clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Yet my flock has to feed on what your feet have trampled and drink what your feet have muddied. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep since you have pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak ones with your own horns until you scattered them all over. I will save my flock and they will no longer be prey for you. I will judge between one sheep and another. Now, verse 23, this is important. I will appoint over them a single shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. Anybody want to guess who that is? Sunday school answer. Begins with a J, ends with an S. Everybody say it. Jesus. This whole text is about God doing this in Jesus. God's not going to do this from 30,000 feet in some abstract way. God's going to put skin on and come and show us what love looks like. Show us what provision looks like. Show us the power of God. Show us that what has broken us can be bandaged and healed. Show us that when we have want, he fulfills those needs. Show us what enough looks like. And then seal it for us through his own blood through his own death, and then overcome the worst the world has to offer, a violent state execution of a death, and overcome it through resurrection. And then show us that we have life now and forever, and it can be full. And then shows us that he will teach us how. He will teach us how. 
you read on the rest of the text. The text, there's a part in the text that says in verse 26, I will make them and the area around my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in their season. There will be showers of blessing. I don't know entirely what that means, but what it does tell me is there are going to be times where it doesn't feel like the blessings are falling, and there will be times where showers of blessing come. Life happens in seasons. There are dry seasons of life. And it's in those dry seasons of life that we start wondering if abundant life is still possible, right? Like we hear what Jesus says, but I'm in a dry season. I'm in summer, or maybe I'm in, cold, I'm in the winter of life, or I'm in the summer of life. I'm either dry or everything is dreary. And we begin to wonder if spring and fall will ever come. And even Yahweh says in Ezekiel 34, look, there are going to be seasons. But it doesn't mean the shepherd has stopped shepherding. Come on now. And so he goes on. And he ends it. And he says in verse 29, I will establish for them a place renowned for its agricultural, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land. They will no longer endure the insults of nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them. Say, God is with us. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people. This is the declaration of the Lord God. You are my flock. The human flock of my pasture, and I am your God. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Beloved, Jesus said that the shepherd knows each one of his sheep by name, so I want you to say this. Say, he knows me by name. He knows you by name. That's what he said. So look, either Jesus is lying, or he's telling the truth. He knows you by name. Just like a shepherd who knows every part of the sheep, from the top of its head to the soles of its feet, to the hooves of its feet, God knows you by name. He knows me. We are the human flock of his pasture. You know, it's interesting. We live in a moment in our nation where the idea of sheep being a sheeple is a pejorative term. I'm not really sure this is a compliment in Scripture either, to be honest with Because sheep are pretty helpless, vulnerable, sometimes not so smart. But in our faith, it's a life-giving term. Because in its recognition of our need, it's also a recognition of our belovedness. That the good shepherd sees us and knows us and wants to lead us into abundant life. So here's the problem. Problem with abundant life is most of us want instant abundance. Like, let's be honest, sometimes I just want it all now or tomorrow, but I want it on my terms and in my timeline. But abundant life doesn't work like this. That's the problem. Abundant life is the slow work of God helping the soul feel its worth first. I want to say that again. Abundant life is the slow work of God first concern with the soul feeling its worth in God and then discovering a deep abiding fullness of joy and peace that comes from the presence of Christ the King. See, the moment you and I receive the gospel and allow it to guide our lives, which is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we set out toward abundant life. That's the deal. We're going somewhere. Every one of us are walking 
somewhere. We're headed somewhere. And if you are one of God's people, then God in Christ wants to be your shepherd. Christ is our good shepherd, and no matter what pasture or season we find ourselves in, Christ wants to shepherd us and lead us to greener pastures beside still waters. He wants to restore our soul. He wants us to experience abundant life. The problem is there are times when abundant life doesn't feel very abundant. And what I wonder is if we are in this moment where abundant life doesn't feel abundant, is that really more about what's going on in my life or is that really about the expectations that I have on God and what abundant life should be? Like for us, abundance means surplus. But what if abundance simply means full? Like what if Christ wants to lead us into the kind of life that's enough? Everybody say enough. What if Christ wants to lead us into the kind of life that is satisfied? What if Christ can lead us to a life where we no longer have to grasp and strain and fall victim to the idea that there's not enough to go around? This idea of scarcity. Like we no longer have to frantically search around for meaning and purpose. We no longer have to put our self-worth, our self-worth, our identity in our performances, bank accounts, relationships, grades, successes. Or some other person, we no longer have to fear losing because in Christ, with a bloodstained cross and empty tomb, we actually can't lose. We have all we need in Christ. So then we're free. We're free to give our lives away, right? Like we're free to give generously with our money and time, even our liberties and our so-called rights for the good of others, for the good of others. We can learn to be satisfied and live with a deep, abiding joy and peace in a society of not enough. And we we long for this. I think all of us long for this. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say all of us long for something more deep inside our bones. It's just sometimes we forget. And when we forget, we start listening to the evil shepherd. Now, I want to say something about the evil shepherd. I don't entirely know who that is. Like, Jesus could be talking about the devil. I think Jesus is talking about some sort of forces that have power to guide us in our life. That's, to me, more the context. Either way, what we do know, whoever, whoever or whatever the evil shepherd is, we know what the evil shepherd does comes to what? Steal, what else? Kill and destroy. Wants to come into our life and guide us into the wrong pastures lead us down the wrong path. See, sometimes we allow ourselves to be guided by the wrong shepherds. We allow ourselves to be guided into believing that we should have surplus. You know, the Bible says, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And we interpret that as having more than we need so we can store it away for a rainy day rather than interpreting that as being able to give it away for others who feel like their lives are just caught in the rain. We're guided into believing by this wrong shepherd that we never have enough and that life is all about getting an upward mobility. We want to have purpose. So the wrong shepherd guides us down the path of trying to secure a bigger platform or more fame or a little bit of glory and name recognition, more likes. 
We want to be secure so the wrong shepherd guides us into a belief that we can do whatever we need to do to others, especially those who threaten us or even do like our president did and co-opt the scriptures of Isaiah, the one who spoke of the prince of peace and turning weapons into plowshares and then twist them towards some sort of violent ends to justify action. See, the wrong shepherd, the one Jesus calls the thief that comes to steal, kill, or destroy, doesn't come with fanfare or applause. The wrong shepherd rarely comes in through the front gate of our lives, beloved. The wrong shepherd sneaks in, hops the fence, usually subtly, creeps in one tweet, one news headline, one conversation, one fear, one anxiety. One twisted reference to Scripture at a time. But we know the shepherd. We all know the shepherd. We just forget. You know the shepherd. And even if you're not sure you know the shepherd, the shepherd knows you. When as sheep, we needed to be rescued and found. Jesus shepherded us into God's hospitality and welcome as children of his household and citizens of his kingdom. The spirit of Jesus pursues us and welcomes us into God's life. And without Jesus going after us like a shepherd does for lost sheep, we would be stuck in the ditch of parable decisions. Locked into the reign of sin and death. But when as sheep we needed to be rescued and found, Jesus shepherded us into God's life. When as sheep we needed good pasture and grazing, Jesus shepherded us into God's provision. You know the scripture. Jesus taught us. Don't worry about the flowers. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the things of the world. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. God provides for them. Birds aren't going grocery shopping. Birds aren't shopping for clothes. Or flowers aren't shopping for clothes. It's all beautiful. It's all provided for. You are greater than the birds. You are greater than the flowers. Seek first the reign of Christ in your life, and all the needs you have will be given to you. Jesus will shepherd you into what you need. You'll have to deal with Jesus between the difference of what you want and what you need. But he will shepherd you into what you need. When we as sheep have our injuries and need to be treated, Jesus shepherds us with compassion. Beloved, no matter how the injuries come, whether they're self-inflicted or inflicted by others, God in Christ receives us with compassion. Listen, God isn't shaming us. So there is no need to carry shame. I'll tell you right, shame's of the devil. There is no need to carry shame. Christ wants to shepherd us into the compassion of God. To see that God isn't holding some grudge. Contrary to unhealthy theology, God isn't mad at us. 
He looks on us, his sheep, with mercy and compassion. And he's unsurprised that we are vulnerable. He's unsurprised that we make terrible decisions sometimes. He's unsurprised that we sometimes follow the wrong shepherds. And so he pursues us. See, the Lord shepherds us in many ways, beloved. When we need to taste justice, we remember that Jesus is shepherding us into what is good and just. So we follow him and we trust him to show us the way. When we feel insecure and need peace, we remember, we remember that Jesus is shepherding us in God's care. So we follow him and trust him to provide in God's time. When we feel stifled and held captive, we remember that Jesus is shepherding us into liberation. So we follow him and trust him in the way we should go. When we are afraid, we remember that Jesus is shepherding us into God's promises. So we follow him and trust him to fulfill his promises. When we need the experience deliverance from the insults, we remember that Jesus is very familiar with the insults. And he will shepherd us into God's vindication. So we follow Jesus and trust him to vindicate us in God's way and in God's time. Beloved, resist the urge to follow the wrong shepherd or be the shepherd of your own soul. Open the scriptures. Listen to what Jesus says. Listen to the teaching of the good shepherd. Do what the good shepherd does. And just go set out to do that. You're going to go somewhere. Do that. And don't do it alone. Do it with the community of faith. Follow the teachings and the way of Jesus is revealed in the gospel. And trust that in due season, in due season, I don't know the season, but in season, he will lead us to the pathway of righteousness. He will lead us to greener pastures. He will restore our souls. It is hard to remember the abundant life Jesus promises us when life seems so minimal. And so even in those hardest moments, we come to the table. And we trust that Jesus knows me by name. He knows us best, finish it, and he loves us most. 